Welcome to Argyle Chat, the Plymouth Argyle podcast brought to you by the Herald Sports Desk. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Argyle Chat. After three long months of speculation, comings and goings, the season finally got underway on Saturday with Argyle going down to a 2-1 defeat at Peterborough United. Joining me after what can only be described as the journey from hell are our football reporters Chris Arrington and Baron Cross. Hi guys. Stu, how are you? You just got back? Or? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, the trip back was a lot easier than the one way out. out. I can assure you of that. But uh, yeah, obviously one of the, the, the talking points before the game even started, wasn't it? The, the journey up, um, the Argyle players taking 14 and a half hours, arriving at 2.30 on a Saturday morning. Baron and I travelled up a bit earlier on the Friday and, and we clocked up eight and three quarter hours. Which had about a ten minute stop at Wincanton for, for for food. Yeah, really. So um, yeah, we got a good close up view of Stonehenge as we uh, crawled past there, and uh, yeah, I mean I've been fortunate, Stu, to to cover Argyle for the Herald for for twenty years now, and um, I'm struggling to think of many more worse journeys in all that time. It was just the traffic of gods conspired against everyone that day. And uh, Baron's a relative newcomer to these things. Baron, what was the uh, the experience like for you? Well, last season, uh, our trip to Colchester United kind of set the bar for me. I didn't particularly enjoy that journey. Um, the last leg of that was, was a bit of a struggle, I remember. And going into, into this one on Friday, we were setting off at a decent time, so there wasn't really a great deal of pressure on us, was there, to get there in any particular decent time. So when we were uh, we were going through it and we saw the, the delays on the M5, I was sort of quite sort of open-minded, optimistic about taking the 303. But um, it wasn't until we sort of you get through those initial delays you sort of get through that sort of m5 bottleneck everyone's going on to the 303 and you sort of you come through that and you think you're, you're, you're home and dry but um when you then hit rush hour at oxford and northampton you keep getting stopped more and more after the road sort of flatters to deceive you that's what that's what kind of broke me i think was <laughs> once we thought it was over and we were getting up to, to 70 miles an hour again we we then got stopped again just for no apparent reason no yeah. collision or anything it's just sheer traffic and rush hour and that's what really broke me but well you did say to me yesterday that i mean every cloud has a silver lining you said chris introduced you to absolute radio so uh yeah absolutely something yeah, we, good came we, out we, we, we did have we did have some very good music which 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 you need to keep our sanity yeah. uh, in, in all sort of serious though seriousness though um what, what sort of impact did it have on the players it didn't seem like it had any impact at all chris i mean by all accounts the performance was very good and yeah. the players didn't look lethargic at all if you didn't know the story of their trip you wouldn't have thought, oh, they look a bit lethargic or whatever. Um, Derek Adams made the point afterwards that he was pleased with the fitness of the players and the way the game, the, the way they finished the game strongly, which they did. And so, you know, you would have thought them getting to bed at half past two on a Saturday morning wasn't a great preparation. But um, no, I, I mean, there was no evidence it had an impact really, was it, Baron? No, nothing at all. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they started well, they, they played well throughout. Uh, there was no evidence of... Robbie's fatigue towards the end um, and you know, it wasn't until Derek mentioned it to Chris post-match that we sort of had any sort of idea that it had been this nightmare before the match Yeah Michael Eddy sent us a, uh, a, a, a thing on uh, whatever it is we were doing <laughs> uh, he's basically saying I was at the game of the weekend it seems really really positive the striker situation will get sorted out it's just a matter of time it was promising to see the centre and midfield work so well. The wingers were excellent and the squad in depth that we have 
makes me very excited for the coming season. It was great to see Argyle trying to play a neater brand of football. The crowd were excellent and we showed great character throughout the game, promising signs for Argyle and great to have a player like Greg Wilde coming off the bench and making such an impact. What do you think Argyle's best attacking three behind the strikers will end up being? He feels a bit for Joel Grant and uh, Michael says he can't help but think that Argyle are stronger with Greg Wilde to start. Is that a fair point? Some good, some good points from there from Michael. <coughs> yeah. um, the striker situation will get sorted out. It is just a matter of time. The transfer deadline is at the end of August, so something will happen. Obviously, the injury to Ryan Taylor on a Saturday sort of puts just a little bit more emphasis on that because uh, you know he's he's going to be out of the Bristol City Cup game on Tuesday, so a striker is needed. But that was always gonna, that will all that will get addressed. I thought the centre midfield worked quite well. I thought David Fox had a good game. Uh, Michael says about the wingers were excellent. I, I thought Joel Grant had a, had a pretty decent game, really. He had two of the best chances Argyle had, and the keeper Jonathan Bond made some some really good saves from that, and, and he got the uh, the sponsor's man of the match. So any time you go away from home and you lose, but the home goalkeeper's man of the match, that does tell a little bit of a story, mm. doesn't it? Argyle trying to play a neater brand of football. What they tried to do was Peterborough played with three at the back, didn't they, Baron? The mm. three centre-backs, and Argyle clearly pinpointed from very early in the game that they were going to try and get Jake Jervis on the right and Grant on the left and try and isolate them against the two wide centre-backs. And then you've got a mismatch. You've got speedy wide players against slightly slow centre-backs playing in a back three. So that's what Argyle tried to do when Greg Wilde came on. It was the same sort of thing, wasn't it, Baron? You know, mm. and Ainsworth in the second yeah. half, it was Wilde and Ainsworth trying to get into those positions to attack those centre-backs? Yeah, I, I, I probably would disagree a little bit with Michael. On, I think I would still go with Grant over Wilde. Like you say, Chris, I think Grant started well and played well throughout. And I would argue... Um, did he come off? He, he did come off, didn't mm, he, for, yeah. for Wilde? So I think he when, when he came yeah. off, I think it was probably more for fatigue or maybe just for, to try something like different. Got, yeah. But I, I thought he did more than, more than well enough to continue to start down the left. Um, we know with Jake Jervis, he has good games and bad games, and Saturday was a very good game. He, he started incredibly brightly, and if, if Ryan Taylor hadn't had to go off injured, I'm sure he would have continued down the right and was terrorising um, Tafazoli, who was the left-sided centre-back. So I think um, he, he gave plenty of reasons to continue as well. So and I think we all know Graham Carey's not going to get dropped unless, uh, unless a bomb gets dropped on him. So I think, um, I think the, the, the attacking midfield three, as it is at the moment, will, will stay for a little while. I think Lemiris did okay when, when he came on. Um, it was a bit of a bitty game at that stage. I think Peterborough were, were sort of sitting a little bit deeper, had a few men behind the ball. There wasn't that much space. Um, the best chances they had were managed to, when they managed to break away. Ainsworth dispossessed Baldwin on one occasion and laid off Grant for a good opportunity. Uh, when the when the goal actually came, it was from from Graham Carey sort of breaking forward through the middle and laying off Lameras, who then put in wild. So um, yeah, I think I think the attacking midfield three certainly worked well. Um, a neater brand of football um, at times maybe, but I still feel as though that the, the defenders clearly like passing the ball. That the centre backs were. Um, we're quite impressive, really. Edwards looked for looked for some very neat passes at times. Bradley likes to spray the ball around a little bit, and I think when you've got the option of Grant and, and Jervis on the diagonal, they're going to go with it, especially away from home when they're looking to break away at speed and getting the ball up the pitch. Yeah, it maybe seems so from the outside with Sarsovic playing alongside Fox. There's sort of two playmaking 
midfielders in that in the middle of the, the pitch there in front of the back four is, is that fair to say more so than yeah. the sort of defensive stability that sort like of like Sarsovic give you based on Saturday it feels like there's quite a lot of ball playing mm. players in that team now yeah. I mean Sarsovic and Fox like passing Edwards and Bradley like passing Felkel mm. and Sawyer will sort of get up and down and, and pass when they need to Jervis and Grant are there for, for their physical attributes I think and Ryan Taylor too so I mean I haven't even mentioned Graham Carey so I think there's, there's a lot of technical ability in that side um, time will tell whether they need a little bit more bite um, in the middle of the park but if Saturday they seem to be okay I think Grant McCann picked up on the fact that he felt that Peterborough had the, the edge because Madison and Marriott were picking up positions off the back of Fox and Sarsavik that they weren't able to, to track um, so that may be something that, that needs to be addressed, addressed if, that, if that turns out to be a trend with teams playing Argyle, that they can sort of find that space behind Fox and in front of Bradley. Yeah. Um, Mike makes a good point about the attacking three. I mean, Chris, I think you were on a holiday when we did the, the, the podcast a few months ago. We, we discussed Ember and yeah, we did, what yeah. three or what Argyle's starting lineup would be. Mm. And we were all set with the goalkeeper, the back four, yeah. and the striker. And it was just that attacking three, wasn't it? Mm. And I don't think any of us went for the three yeah, that starts on the Saturday, which just shows goes to show the options Argyle have. Really. Yeah, fantastic options. I mean, we all, we all put together a starting lineup, and we all had one player different, and it was yeah. that one player in the in the attacking midfield three. I think we all pretty much agreed on, on Carey and Jervis, I want to say. Yeah, I think it was. And then there was, there was a third option was one we all sort of Sort of yeah. twisted and changed on but I mean, yeah. Ainsworth did very well coming on as well he, he was forced to come a little bit early because of Taylor's injury and, and he impressed me yet again um, as, as Michael has mentioned Greg Wilde came on and got a goal and like I say Lanieros seems to have a lot of technical ability but you know, time will tell won't it it's still very very early days Yeah. Phil Wakenham is asking why can't they score <laughs> well they got one goal didn't they yeah. uh, and they had lots of other chances and on another day, well, as you they, said, the goalkeeper was man of the match. So I mean, you've got to give them that's, some credit. As that's well, what I was going to say. On another day, you know, they could have easily have scored two or three goals in that game. Uh, I don't think that's unfair to say, Baron. You know, the no. keepers made a, a couple of great saves. A couple of um, finishes could have been better. Um, yeah, I, you know, the 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 worry among Argyle fans, I know, is is that where are the goals going to come from? Uh, they got one in the first game. They create lots of chances. Again, if it becomes a trend that they're creating chances and not scoring. Um, I'd be more worried, you know, on what I saw on Saturday, they, they created plenty of chances in an away game against an established League One team, so I'm, I think not, I'm, not, too, I'm not too concerned at the moment, but, you know, if it's a trend, if we're sat here having the same conversation, if Phil asks this question in three or four weeks' yeah. time, um, then you'll get a different answer. Well, I think Derek Adams would be more worried if our goal weren't creating chances, wouldn't he? You know, mm. At least they're creating chances. Mm. You know, well, it's one game. It's yeah. one game, so I don't think you can judge anything on one game. Um, so you know we'll see we'll see yeah uh, the game sounded quite controversial in many respects we've seen this picture of Sonny Bradley with his uh, his hands around the neck of uh, a Peterborough player and there's also this incident with the uh, the spitting uh, where Marcus Madison's claimed that an Argyle player spat at him um, some of O'Neill has uh, sent us a, a message saying do you think Sonny Bradley will be, will be reprimanded for the throttling of a Peterborough player and also, do you think Sonny spat at Marcus Ma- Madison, or was he just shouting at him? The second one, only Sonny, uh, yeah. The second one, mm. you know, um, is an allegation. It's been investigated, and you know, I don't think it's uh, right for us to be discussing things like that at this precise moment. Uh, the throttling of, of, I think it was Anthony Grant, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, uh, he should have been booked for that. Um, but I'm not sure that you 
take uh, retrospective action on, on bookings. On bookings, no. Um, w- so was he booked for it, did you say? Or? No. So does that mean they can take re- retrospective action? No, I don't think they can, not for he bookings. He needs to be booked in the first yes, instance. Yes, I think so, yeah. Right. So you should, I'm, I'm surprised the referee didn't take any action for well, that. It seems to be right in front of him. I mean, yeah, he wasn't the referee uh, in the picture as well. He pulled over a little bit at that stage. Yeah, There's four did. or five players getting in and around. So, I mean, in, it, in, in, sort of in a, in a flash of a moment, he may not have been looking, I suppose. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, when you get an incident like that, the referee could, could have probably booked three or four or five people for bit, various bits and pieces that were going on, and maybe he just tried to calm the calm the situation down. And so one of those, when you book one of them, you're booking about six or seven yeah. of them all at once. Ordinarily, though, um, you're gonna get you're gonna get booked for that. That was out of order. I think it was just it was just at that stage. I think that this, the frustration was just was just showing with Argyle. They were two 0 down. There was no real sign that they were they were going to score. There were chances, but there was there was nothing really going their way. And Peterborough few... were, were managing the game really well. And I think Anthony Grant was just doing a brilliant job in the middle of the park to break things up, slow things down, cut off any sort of momentum Argyle could get going. I think they were just getting a bit frustrated, especially with the, the nature of the second goal where Sonny felt he was found Absol- in the Absolutely right. And I, I think from that moment on throughout yes. the second half, yeah. the, the players and the manager had a bit of chip on their shoulder and they were not happy at all with how the calls were going. There was a few shrubs here and there that Peterborough did get. I mean, there was one stage where, where Carey was literally hopping mad. He was furious that Anthony Grant had gone down uh, in and around the Peterborough box when Argyle were threatening to build, build a move. He goes down and the referee gives it to Peterborough and Carey just cannot believe he pointed over to where Marriott had supposedly pushed Bradley and you could just you could almost hear him saying, well, how is that not a foul and this one is? It's mm. just, there's a lot of frustration and I think at that moment, we all know Sonny's a very sort of emotional figure and I think at that moment it just boiled over and you know, he shouldn't have done it. And for, for balance as well, we should say that Peterborough were very annoyed about Argyle's goal because they felt that Marcus Madison was fouled Yes. When Argyle picked up the ball and, and went on the attack, so it wasn't just Peterborough's second goal that Argyle were aggrieved about. Peterborough were aggrieved about the goal that Argyle got. So it, it did have a spell of about uh, 15, 20 minutes where it got a bit, a bit feisty, a bit lively. Or definitely coming off the back of the should Peterborough second the goal being allowed to stand, and that 20 minutes afterwards it was a bit spiky at times. And then when Argyle got the goal back, then I think it focused everyone's minds. Yes. The Argyle players and the Peterborough players, right, okay, we've got 15 minutes to go. This is what we've got to try and get out of the game. And um, things calmed down a bit in that, that closing period. Yeah, so it, I, was, I was having a look around the Peterborough Telegraph yesterday and looking at some of the comments from the Peterborough fans. And it does seem that this Madison has a bit of history for such, such kind of histrionics, really. He's, uh, he just tends to go down a lot. Yeah, and basically. We're <coughs> saying quite a lot of the fans, you know, that they don't like what they see from him. No, we spoke to a few of the journalists that, that cover Posh regularly on Saturday, and I think um, there's, there's certainly sort of opinions that people have of him. You know, I think he's not everybody's cup of tea. I think he's a bit of a mercurial talent. He seems to play very well most of the time for Peterborough, but there's, there's a few bits to his game that people can do without. Yeah. Yeah. Moving on then, oh, we, we touched on it a minute ago, the striker situation at Argyle, and as you rightly say, Chris, the Ryan Taylor injury probably heightens the need for that centre forward to come in now. Uh, Neil again is asking the need for a striker is there do you think Adams will be targeting a, l- a large target man or a quick pacey striker and this is something that's divided opinion on the mm. desk isn't it yeah. so have you, have, I mean I, I've said all along I think he'll bring in another target man type striker mm. do you guys still think it'll be the quick nippy striker or do you think his focus will change slightly now well we'll see what the extent of the injury to Ryan Taylor is I mean Terry Adams said he twisted his ankle now 
as long as it's just a twisted ankle, that, that won't be an absence for too long. You can twist an ankle and then tweak ligaments and things like that, and then that can get a bit mm. more serious. So if it was a more serious injury, then you might have to reconsider what you're looking to do because you perhaps need to look at the large target man route. Um, quick pacey striker, you know, when you look at Argyle on, on, on Saturday, they're not short of pace in that squad, are they, Baron? You know, there's plenty of players in that attacking third of pace. So maybe maybe you do look at uh, somebody as a, as a target man who can play that role that Ryan Taylor and Nathan Bissett can do. I, I still think it's more likely to be a loan and a permanent deal. I know there's talk about, you know, could we sign players and this, that, and the other. And I don't think you could rule it out, but I think the longer it goes on, the more likely it is that it will be a, it will be somebody that's not wanted at their club, mm. whether they're not featuring in the manager's plans or they're a younger player, and they'll be made available on loan. But, you know, time will tell. Where are we now? We've got, what, three, three weeks yeah, till three the weeks, transfer yeah. window, haven't we? So, you know, there'll be new options will be coming up daily. You know, the season started, some players have been on the bench on Saturday and thought, you know what, I'm not going to be in the manager's first team plans here, I fancy going somewhere else and playing. And, and I bet you that this week there'll be new names popping up on Derek Adams's radar of uh, potential uh, loan signings or, or maybe permanent, but I, I still think loan's the most likely. Yeah, the interesting thing as well with the strikers is that whenever Taylor hasn't been fit, and we saw it in pre-season as well, it's always been Jake Jervis who's been preferred up front and, mm. and not Nathan Blissett. Do you think Adams perhaps doesn't have that 100% confidence in Nathan Blissett right now? Hard to know, isn't it? I think mm. uh, I think Saturday he was, he was forced to put Jervis in there because Blissett wasn't even on the bench. So, I mean, we, we, we discussed pre-match what Adam's going to do if Taylor gets injured and lo and behold, he goes off in yeah, the first half. So. Yeah. I don't know. I, I th- I'd be surprised if Blissett doesn't play tomorrow night because it's the League Cup mm. and he'll want to maybe just see how a few others get on and put him in a competition he's not hugely bothered about to see how Blissett gets on and see if Blissett is ready for a, a league game on Saturday maybe against Charlton. But... Um, Thing is, Stu, I suppose if you look at Ryan Taylor did a great job last season <coughs> for Argyle. Jake Jervis, you know, you, you know, people can say what they like about him, but he's got a good goal scoring record for Argyle. He's, you know, he's twenty seven goals in the last two seasons, something like that. Nathan Blissett, you know, is is a relative newcomer. He got two goals at the back end of last season. You know, you look at the the two options: Jervis with his goal scoring record over the last two years, or a relatively untried Nathan Blissett. I think it's fair enough to go for Jake Jervis up front at the moment. Yeah, uh, Chris. I don't think this is you, Chris, but another Chris. Uh, are the club actively looking for a new striker? If so, would a fee be involved? As there can't be many free transfers or loans that would score the amount of goals Argyle need. If there were, they wouldn't be available for free. Uh, would there be a fee involved? I think it's unlikely. Never say never, but I, like I say, I, I think it will be a loan. I don't know what you think. Fair enough. It could certainly it could be could be somebody that free transfer in in August is pretty. Pretty unusual. I mean, it would take a free agent, to, I suppose. Well, if it, if you've it's a pure free agent, the free agent, you've got to ask why that's not a free agent. Correct. Mm. And you could get the option where a player has his contract cancelled by mutual. That's the only way I could see it. And then you could, but that's not really going to happen in August because you know clubs aren't going to be. I don't think clubs would cancel contracts of players in August. You know what happens if in two weeks' time that particular club gets a couple of injuries. It's, it's, it's a bit like the sort of domino yeah. effect, isn't it? Yeah. If, if, if clubs further up the line get the targets they want, mm. maybe a club in the Championship suddenly has got five or six strikers Yeah. they're looking at that, that fifth or sixth choice and thinking, mm. we can't get him out on loan or he doesn't want to go out on loan or nobody's going to take him on loan. You cancel his contract and you push him out for free. Ryan Taylor had his contract cancelled at Oxford so he could come to Argyle for free. So 
terms of options are out there, if nobody's out there willing to pay for him and they want to get him off the wage bill, you cancel his contract to get him out. But the, the most the most likely option is going to be a loan, isn't it? I think it's going to be difficult after the season started to get a proven goal scorer, somebody that's going to come in and, mm. and get you lots You've of goals. What well, I think yeah. we always knew that Argyle are going to have to do what they did last season to a large degree and share the goals around. Yeah. And they're going to need the Wilds, Ainsworths, um, people like that chipping in with goals, as well as yeah. Carey and, and Jervis and what have you. And they're going to need sort of four or five players with seven, eights and, and mores. And if they can do that, then they can possibly cover the lack of a, a twenty goal a season striker. You know, even I, in even in League One, you know, you look, you look at the money that um, Jack Marriott went to Peterborough for now. Um, Darren McAntony was saying that's a substantial fee, and, and as good a player as Marriott is, he's still relatively um, untested, certainly mm. at League One level. Mm. Um, you know, I think the loan signing try and get try and get a twenty twenty one year old who's who's on his way up. He's he's eager to make a name for himself in his career. Come in and and you know fire on all cylinders. I think it's a very old-fashioned view as well, where strikers, even today, get judged on goals. You know, and in this system, Argyle play. Well, that's you know the one lone striker shouldn't be judged on goals. It's what he brings to the team. Isn't it's it? it's like Mickey Evans all over yeah. again from the early two thousands. You know, when you play as a one up front striker, you're going to struggle to get twenty goals. I mean, that's why, you know, going back to John Akindi for example, I was in, I was impressed with him at Barnet because he he pretty much plays up front on his own and he's still got lots of goals. Yeah. Now, of course, as we've already discussed on the podcast before. That's not going to happen. No, not, not unless, not unless one of the Argyle listeners um, win the lottery <laughs> and want to throw a few million towards uh, Argyle. Indeed. Uh, moving on then, John, with regards to... This is a really good comment, actually. I, was, I was, thought this would make a good debate for us. Uh, with regards to the referee's performance on Saturday, uh, referees missing incidents on the field, this is where the Football Association must introduce video referees. If the re- referee misses something, then the video referee can look back on the screen alert via his earpiece. Then things can be cleared up on the field. It works in rugby, so why can't it work in football? All the FE need to do is to use previous referees that have either retired from the game. I think it would work, but no doubt money would come into it. Again, I, that's what it boils down to, isn't it? Money. I mean, we, you know, we're probably going to see video referees in the Premier League in the not-too-distant future, but lower down the leagues, the money well, isn't there. Well, every Premier League game is, is basically televised live, isn't it? So you have all the cameras, multiple ca- cameras dotted around the ground, you have <coughs> play facilities, you have TV staff that can review things quickly. Um, it, it works in some sports, you know, the NFL, American football, you know, they have their, they have their games being played, they have a, a guy in an office in New York he can see every game and he can pick out all the incidents, contentious issues and they can review them. There's the potential to, to review them. Obviously, American football is a lot more stop-start. I'm you know, still not totally convinced that football being a free-flowing game lends itself to, to video replays. When you get the incidents where you, know, also you have a penalty shout at one, incident, at, one end of the, at one end of the pitch, oh, we should have had a penalty, we should have had a penalty. Referee doesn't give it team go up the other end of the pitch and score and then the video referee says oh, I know a minute that should have been a penalty I think that now, happened in Holland at the weekend well, actually good luck in trying to explain that to a, a yeah. crowd of football fans um, you know the goal line technology good um, video referees me personally I'm not overly enamoured with the idea but perhaps that's just because I'm a bit of a traditionalist I don't know Beren what do you think were there any incidents on Saturday then Beren where, where perhaps there could have been video but you need the cameras as well yeah. Stu I mean the yeah. money's 
it's, it's easy to say let's have video replays, but how many cameras are you going to have mm. at a League One or a League Two game? You know, who's going to pay for these cameras? You know, if you're going to have an effective video replay, surely you're going to need multiple cameras. Like, you can't have just one camp, one bloke no. in a in a in a, in the the TV gantry just covering from a long range. So you're going to need multiple cameras, multiple people. You're going to need to have somebody from the FA sort of at the. I I, I just think the the cost football. You could find the money in mm. football because of the vast amounts of money that swirl around in football because of TV deals mainly. But uh, I don't know, Darren. Um, there's there's one camera there at the moment, isn't there? So there's these video analysts that either club will have a camera set up and footage can be looked back. Grant McCann came in after the match on Saturday said he'd watch back the incident with Marriott three times. Um, they, the club was also using the footage that they have to investigate this alleged um, spitting incident with Madison and it was inconclusive. I mean, like, the cameras are there, but like you say, if you're going to do it properly and you're going to rely on them, mm. you're going you're gonna to base ultimately points in the league are going to be based on these video cameras and decisions getting right. You need to have so many of them and they need to be able to zoom right in and look at all these various incidents. There, there probably wasn't, wouldn't have been a camera there picking up um, Sonny Bradley throttling Anthony Grant. I mean, you, you need to have every single angle covered with, with the correct level of zoom and then with, with, it's not just having, then having one man behind one camera looking at that camera. You've then got to have an each individual person at each camera assessing that footage, or like Chris says, have somebody in this mystical control room that they're going to have to create to do it, who's, who's in like a gallery, <laughs> who can then look at all the cameras, and yeah, yeah. to have that across, what, 72 teams in the, in, in the EFL for starters, I mean, it's a lot of money, isn't it? I mean, the, the money is there, because yeah. it's football, it's, the wealthiest, you know, it's one of the wealthiest sports in the world, but um, does enough of it trickle down from, uh, from the Premier League or the FA to fund it, because you're going to have a, need to have a lot of people calling for it, for it to happen, and I just don't think there's enough there's enough momentum behind it to, no, to, to fund it. I, I mean, think we've got to start with goal line technology first and then yeah. you know, link from there, really. Yeah, I mean, get fourth officials more involved in the games. You know, um, you know, get, you know they're, they're an extra pair of eyes. You know, they seem to, unfortunately, spend a lot of their time talking to the, to the managers <laughs> when really they don't have any say in what's happened with the decision on the pitch. You know, I, I'd be more inclined to maybe have a fourth official up in the stand or something like that. Uh, a better view of the game, yeah, um, a better vantage point, well, and, and, they, and they, they, they can be aware of what's going on, they'll have a, a wider vision of the pitch and what's going on, and you might see incidents yeah. where off the ball, where you off know, the ball they look back and say, oh look, there's, and then they, they're wired to the referee and yeah. communicate that way. Well, we saw it in European games last yeah. season, where you, or before that even, where you know, along the goal line you've got the the officials at each end of the pitch yeah. so you know perhaps they can invest in officials as opposed I, to I, video technology I'd be inclined to try and work on the officials you know and uh, like I say like, like I say that fourth official I think you know he's there so, so use him rather than just having as a as a sort of babysitter. Sounding, babysitter and a sounding board for frustrated managers you know actually involve him in the game yeah absolutely so moving ahead then, I'll obviously have Bristol City in the League Cup tomorrow night. Um, looking forward to that one, guys. I mean, it sounds like the Green Army are travelling in, in good numbers again, Chris. Good numbers, 1,700 tickets sold. All ticket game uh, for, for Argyle fans. So uh, you're being advised not to travel unless you've got your tickets. Um, Bristol City had a good 3-1 win against Barnsley on Saturday. Very impressive. Bobby Reid, former Argyle loanee, getting two of the goals. He's been scoring goals for fun in pre-season. Um, I haven't been to Ashton Gate since it's been... 
fairly extensively renovated in the last few years, so I'm looking forward to that. It looks a great stadium on the TV. Um, it's not going to have the same competitive fire as a, as a league game, but I, and I would imagine both teams will make some team changes, but yeah, looking forward to it. should be a good game. Yeah, Brendan, do you fancy Argyle's chances of, of springing a surprise? Possibly. I mean, a lot will depend on, on, on what Lee Johnson does, I suppose. I mean, they had a, a very, very good result on Saturday. I suppose you'll want to keep momentum going, but I think everybody knows their priorities is the league, isn't it? Both for Argyle and Bristol City. So it depends on how many changes they make. You would think, you know, based on where the teams are in their respective divisions, that Bristol City will have the edge as the home side. But, you know, if, if Argyle can go up there and, and kick on from what we saw on Saturday, then they could give them a real good win for their money, especially if Bristol do make seven, eight changes. Yeah, and then of course it's Charlton on Saturday. Uh, Jake is asking, when realistically can you see Argyle picking up their first points of the season? I can't really see wins in the games against Charlton, Southend and Scunthorpe. It's a tough start, isn't it, Chris? But, yeah, it is. Um, but I've, I've backed them on Saturday against Charlton. It's a home game, you know, it's, it's the start of the season. They played well enough on Saturday to be optimistic. I mean, it's, it comes across as quite pessimistic, the question, but I think you could easily see them, you know, Picking up points against Charlton or Scunthorpe. South End away is a bit trickier. They had a good result on, on the weekend against Blackburn, and I quite fancy South End this year. But mm. the home games, you, anything can happen in a home yeah. game. I mean, that's, that's going to be their best chance, I think. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's not an easy start, that's for sure. Um, they've gone up a division, there's some better teams in there. South End away already does look a tricky game, doesn't it, Baron? But, yeah. um, you know, two home games, you'd like to think that they could, uh, you know, maybe pick up four points, three or four points from those two games. Um, it's early days. One game, you know. If, uh, if if you win the first game of the season, doesn't mean you're going to win the title. They lost the blue. They lost three 0 at home to Luton last, you know, at home last season. You know, so you know it's a forty-six game season. Again, trends. You know, if they've not won five or six games at the start of the season, then people are going to rightly be worried. Yeah. But I, I, you know, one two undefeat at, at Peterborough. You know, when, when the teams played well. As well when the team played well, you know, you know, even Grant McCann, you know, admitted that Arthur yes. played pretty well. So you know. Early days, early, early days. One final question then, Toby's asking, Kerry, Jervis and who else fills the other two positions in our goals front four next Saturday? And well done for getting the two times two signings spot on, Baron and Chris. <laughs> so a bit of praise for you guys there. Well, that was just not nice that Toby's listening. <laughs> yeah, thank you Toby, that was Edwards yeah. and Grant, wasn't it? As, you, as, as, as being in, in the, uh, good to, uh, good to, uh, to hear your, your comments. The two that will go with Carey and Jervis. I, I didn't think Joel Grant did much wrong on Saturday. No. Um, would have been nice if he could have stuck away one of the chances. So I would go with him. And then um, I'm hoping Ryan Taylor, if it was just a twisted ankle on Saturday, will be fit to play. If not... It's an interesting question. Then it's not. an interesting question because um, I, uh, I, I quite like Ramirez when he came on and... and could you go with Jervis and Ramirez, Carey and uh, and Grant behind that? Ainsworth's pace. I, I think if Taylor was fit, he would he would be my mm, he would be my, my choice. But we're we're not entirely sure of the severity of the injuries yet. But just going back to what you were saying about the Peterborough game, because obviously Jervis started on the right and then came in field. You, you said that Jervis started the game really well with he his did. pace. Yeah. Did did he have less of an impact then when he played through the middle? Yes. Yeah. He still did okay. But you know he was up against Tafazoli, as Darren said, and if if that uh, duel between the two of them had continued for a long, longer in the game, I'm pretty confident that it would have led to some goals. For well, in the, in the 30 seconds yeah. before um, before Sawyer's own goal, um, Jervis put one across the face of goal, didn't he? Taylor stuck a foot yes. out as a goal, and yeah. I think there was another one as well after that with. Yeah. Um, 
with Jervis getting the better attack solely and putting a shot in a roll went over. So I think you know, I think you've, you've got to use Jervis down that right channel. I mean, it's going to be a different dynamic at home to Charlton. It depends how much Charlton come out and play. I mean, if, mm. if Charlton aren't going to come out for early doors, then you might want a more physical presence like Blissett up there if um, Taylor's not fit because you're going to need to get somebody up there to hold the ball up and sort of get you further up the field. Because if not, you could be punting up there and it could be coming straight back. So. I don't, I don't really fancy Jervis as a target man. I think maybe away from home when he can use his pace, he might be better as a striker, but at home, it's difficult. I mean, if Blissett plays tomorrow night, that will dictate a lot. If, if Blissett plays well tomorrow night, then I think he'll get, he'll get a chance on Saturday. He, Adams isn't one to risk strikers. If Taylor's not ready, he's not going to risk him. And that was purely tactical to not have Blissett on the bench on Saturday? I, I presume so, yeah. I mean, there was he, was, he, was, he was on the pitch with Sokolik and he's yeah. kick, kicking the ball around, was, so he wasn't injured. There was 20... 20 players, I think, wasn't yeah, it? it was just, just the three first year professionals, and Jamie Ness didn't go. So, I mean, 20, it was him and uh, Jakob Sokolik who didn't make the match day squad, you know, which, you know, in some ways is a good sign for Arda yeah. that they've got 20 players and you, you can't even find Blissett and Sokolik room for them in your, in yeah. your 18. Excellent. Well, that's all we've got time for this week. Thanks, guys, for joining me on the podcast. Uh, we'll be back again next week with more of the same, but don't forget, Baron and Chris will be back with our Argyle web chat on Friday ahead of the Pilgrims' first home game of the season when Charlton Athletic visit Thanks for listening. We are always happy to hear from you, and if you have any questions for our panel, please tweet them to our Twitter account, at HeraldPAFC, or visit our Facebook page, Plymouth Argyle The Herald. Thanks for listening.